It is just past 18 hours, 30 minutes and 28 seconds East African time. Time for John Sibi Okumu on Wednesday. This being Wednesday the 7th of June 2023. Hamjambo Nakaribuni. Hello and welcome. The first newspaper in Kenya, the East African Standard, was established in 1902, essentially to serve the European settler community. In 1919, an African-owned newspaper, the African Standard, was launched to cater to indigenous interests. It was later to become just the Standard. During the struggle for independence, print media played a crucial role in disseminating anti-colonial messages, promoting nationalist sentiments, and advocating political change in several local languages. The Daily Nation, which was to become an influential paper, was founded in 1960 with funding from the Aga Khan. Baraza and Taifa Leo, written in Kiswahili, also made an appearance at about that time. After independence, although successive governments have acknowledged the important role that newspapers could play in nation-building, they have also introduced various laws and regulations aimed at control of the media. Press freedom per se has remained a historical challenge, with instances of censorship, harassment, intimidation and indeed incarceration, particularly during periods of political unrest. For all that, journalism in our country has a very good reputation elsewhere, that is, relatively speaking. So much so that this is the question which we put to the people who graciously allowed us to invade their privacy for this edition. Do you think that Kenya has the greatest freedom of speech in Africa? Our mystery guest, who is undoubtedly among the cognoscenti on the subject of print journalism in Kenya, will have first comment on the answers given. Uh, we are doing well uh, in Uganda, but it has been denied. I do not know that I'm not so well versant with the freedom of speech around other countries. Kenya has shown that it has a very good level of freedom of speech. There was a lot of limitations, still other room for improvement because they are still, we are among the best, but not the greatest. In the past, we never had issues to do with someone criticizing the government of the day and just being left to be on their own. We enjoy it more than any other country in Africa. To an extent, we misuse it. So Kenyans, generally, we have platforms where we can receive information however we want because they are not being coerced. Uh, the media is not sensitized. Show us whatever is happening. If you understand in our neighboring countries like uh, Tanzania, you Uganda, there's stuff they can do, but in Kenya, you can do anything. Can so Kenya has made its strides, but claiming it's the best may be getting ahead of ourselves. It's up for debate, and we need to keep pushing for progress and protecting freedom of speech across the entire continent. Ndugu. Yes, sir. Comment, please. I think those comments capture very well our, our situation. We do in Kenya today enjoy um, freedom of speech more than at any other time. Even if measured on a global level, I think we must be one of the freest societies in the world in terms of uh, freedom of media and beyond freedom of media, general freedoms of uh, communication, freedom of expression, freedom of speech. 
we have to appreciate that we've come from, we came from very bad times. Some of us were around in the days, we used to say, walls have ears. Those were the days when, even in the privacy of your home, with your own family, you were afraid to speak. Because there was a monster called the special branch, which would somehow know what you said. It was almost as if they could sometimes read your mind. And before you know it, you are in jail for having seditious thoughts or for expressing seditious uh, thoughts. Sometimes you have to go out of Kenya um, to realize what we enjoy. Go across the border, as one of our um, uh, commentators said, go to Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Ethiopia, Sudan. They do not have anything approaching the kind of freedoms we have. Go to West Africa, North Africa, maybe the only other country which can approximate those freedoms might be South Africa. I'm talking about the African continent. Uh, so we do have, uh, we, we're also one of the few countries anywhere where freedom of the media is expressly protected by the constitution. In fact, I always point out that in Kenya, the media is the only industry that is singled out by the constitution for protection. Not brewing, not making cigarettes, not running a bar or running a taxi. None of those are protected by the constitution by name, only the media. Right, Nugu, thank, yeah. thank you. I, 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 two responses, because you said the, the best in the world, so to speak. When I tune into uh, channels in the UK or the US because of the language, the facility with language, uh, and I see the prime minister uh, might be addressed as Boris, uh, maybe the, the president might be addressed as Joe, without any kind of fanfare as to who he was or uh, won't be addressed as former prime minister or the right honorable this and that. Doesn't that point to a kind of um, muzzling and kowtowing to the king? Yes, it does. But it is and not, you've just said this the best no, in the it, world. No, it is not by legislation. Right. There is no law which says that I must address our president as his excellency William Ruto. Right. I can, I, in my columns. Yeah, but then, I, but then I, the, I can, the, 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 you I, must I, have I, a fear. I, you must have a nascent fear that a, if you were to do so, Ndugu, um, things would get out of hand. But that is what I do all the time. You address them habitually S as? Simply Ruto. Read my columns in the weekly review. He is simply Ruto. Raila is simply Raila. Um, Uhuru Kenyatta is simply Uhuru. Right. Maybe only in terms of the context of saying who I'm talking about, I will say the president at, at the beginning, at the, at the first, first mention. Right. But after that, just by his name. Today in Kenya, we can call the president, and he knows it, and uh, Zakayo. Right. Or, or any other um, not very kind of okay. name we want to give him. And, okay. and, and, and nothing happens to you. I'm talking about the, the idea of freedom is that uh, there are no limitations, the sort of limitations that um, Eliud Kipchoge has told us not to place upon ourselves. Another image from reading our papers from day to day, especially after the elections, is that the headlines on any given day habitually have this notion of confrontation with head-to-head -head sort of profiles, uh, Ndugu versus Ndugu, Ndugu tells Ndugu to get lost, Ndugu planning to... Uh, the idea that the preoccupation is with politics alone on a daily basis over a five-year period 
To me, Ndugu doesn't point to saying what you like. There must be other things we could talk about before the next elections, if we're truly free. There are so many things we can talk about, but the point is that uh, those things you are noticing are not established by law or by regulation. So it they're is, saying, you know, you're saying, it, it is you're saying in school you could smoke, uh, uh, you could smoke, but um, if you look carefully at the school rules, it says no smoking. Is that the image you're I, pointing? I, I smoked in school, yes. but, the, but the rules say don't smoke. Yeah. But in this case, there are no laws or regulations determining what the media does or how you address the president. Right. Okay. Uh, and it's, it, but sometimes if there are restraints, it is within ourselves. I was pointing to subject matter. What is this preoccupation with all things political at all times, forever and ever, till death do us part? Uh, maybe it depends on what you read. If you read Parents magazine, it doesn't have any politics. If you read uh, uh, Business Daily, very little politics. More of policy issues. The East African and 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 um, so many others. That that preoccupation. Just, that, no, I, let me let me. I, that preoccupation is poli- with politics. Yes, is a preoccupation of the what you might call the mainstream mass circulation um, newspapers. Right. Not even not even the not even the um, the broadcast media so much, but the newspapers. It, that might have historical origins, but it is not an established that way by any law. Maybe it is the market dynamics that tell you if you have, you don't cover politics the way you've been covering it, you will have 90% returns. You will not sell. Right. So it's a comment on Kenyans. It is a comment on Kenyans and and their preferences. And therefore, we could perhaps philosophize about the preoccupation of Kenyans. They are not particularly interested in development or issues of societal change, they are interested in people's dopers being stolen and people organizing mass protest. So in other words, maybe we're fast forwarding and saying we don't have the maturity to address the topics that are of the essence to making a better society. Uh, Our biggest problem is that our development is hinged on politics. Therefore, today the biggest debate is on the finance bill. Yes. And how the, the taxation issues. But also, if you go deeper, you might want to look at how it is proposed that money being distributed. Now, when you hear a politician saying that, and no, no less than the deputy president, Rigadi Gashagwa, saying that, that um, this is a, a government of shareholders, and the shareholders are the ones who will earn the benefits from. Uh, government development uh, projects or government uh, employment or government jobs are you not going to react um, to that we have in this country a history where entire regions have been um, ostracized or marginalized or shunned or divided um, denied what might be the rightful share of uh, development uh, resources creating a very very unequal society can we discuss or negotiate those issues without discussing the politics of it? Who is in charge of the kitty? Did we vote for the right persons? But aren't you sort of shooting yourself in the foot by saying these are the issues to which journalists should be addressing themselves? We cannot fail to address them if we want to resolve our existential problems. 
uh, a very unequal society. It's supposed to be one of the most unequal society um, uh, anywhere. Are we not going to look at how the kit is divided and who is responsible for dividing it and who is responsible for uh, putting in office those who are responsible for dividing it? Good. I think um, we've made a good start um, and this is going to be a, uh, a hot debate, hot discussion. <laughs> uh, I, th I think uh, let's take a break for now and I want to go back to the history uh, and look at the history of what's come before because we are looking at Kenya at 60. Thank you. Ndugu, um, let's look again elsewhere. Let's look outside Kenya. And we look at um, the Uzunguni and the idea that you can identify a paper and it represents some kind of affiliation. So Fox News versus CNN, uh, The Times versus The Guardian and The Observer. We know that these are left-leaning versus right-leaning papers. And therefore, by choosing to buy one or the other, having it expresses my sentiments as a citizen. Sixty years on, have we arrived at a similar level of choosing and picking uh, based on ideology? Sadly, or, sadly far from it. Hmm. I have always advocated within the various uh, forums um, in media circles whether within the greater media discussion groups or within places I've worked, that ideally we should be able to, as a media or as individual media houses, take political positions in terms of ideology, in terms of endorsing certain policies or even certain political parties or political or candidates for office. Ideally, that is where we should be. But... Our politics has not matured to that level because the moment you do that, then you will be accused of being partisan, of being in the pockets of this or that uh, grouping. And that is in itself a reflection not just of our political immaturity, but a reflection of how our politics is played. Our politics is not based on any known ideology or policy programs or platforms. So, uh, sorry, I, I want the explanation to continue. What is it based on, Dugu? What, what, what is the German, what, is it the sort of tyranny of numbers, sort of? Yeah, we, can, we can call it tyranny of numbers, and what is that? It is about tribe. Right. And rallying behind certain tribal chieftains, and uh, whatever, uh, and, and, and even the, the these uh, groupings, they form, you can call them, uh, um, you know, Let's say, for instance, Kenya Kwanza, some conglomeration of so many parties, or Azimiu, a conglomeration of so many parties. We call them coalitions. But they are basically a bringing together of ethnic groupings versus other ethnic groupings. And of course, controlled by ethnic uh, leaders. Today, all the parties which matter in Kenya are basically built around uh, what you might call an ethnic leader 
or a leader who can control his ethnic constituency. You can come up with the most brilliant policy platform, but unless you control your tribe and how it votes, you will never get anywhere. And nobody will listen to you. You will not even be able to angle your way into some coalition because what value do you bring? That, that is a sad reality. And then the sad reality is that today, if I am in a newspaper and I endorse, hypothetically, Raila Odinga, I will not be, be seen to be endorsing his ideology, what he stands for. I will be seen to be endorsing an ethnic formation. And therefore, I may boost my sales within that formation, or the population that makes that formation. But I will be shunned across the river, and I will not even be able to sell my newspapers there. Right. And, and, and uh, re remember, at, at, um, the advance that distribute our newspapers, Nation Standard, used to be branded when they're traveling across the country because they're all distributed by road. Today, they're not branded. Why? Because in some areas, the population will be hostile to, such, um, to them. Right. I, another image that I brought up in my introduction is this whole idea of ownership. Again, look at the sort of Western model. You have Rupert Murdoch and whatever he owns and one rich man with owning many, many titles. But here we mentioned the Aga Khan and the nation, I mentioned rather. But everybody sort of sitting around a coffee table or having Ugali and Sukumawiki knows that, uh, that papers are owned by various, again, uh, political chieftains. We know that the, the the standard group, supposedly, is the baby of the Moy family from that particular era. So if they are, I would assume, waiting for a great political comeback, isn't that going against this idea of the, the political freedom of speech that we sang so highly of it to begin with? It's my newspaper. But you're uh, telling me it's you can say what you like in my newspaper when yeah. I want you to say certain things. Uh, and um, sorry, we're going back to okay. Sorry, it's a ter terrible question. When we've had newspaper newsrooms raided, you know, by the first lady and 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 paper sort of <laughs> burnt up in the middle of the night. Um, it is we have a we have a free media, and there is no bar against anybody launching or buying into a media house. Um, even the even in the West, whether it is the New York Times or, or the Washington Post or the Times of London or Fox News, they're owned by conglomerates or individuals who may have a certain agenda or a certain leaning. No difference here. Uh, if you look at all the major major newspaper groups, they're owned by somebody. You mentioned the Aga Khan. And that one is a bit unique because it is owned by a, 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 what you might call a foreign, uh, largely foreign, although it is quoted on the stock exchange, it is owned by a largely foreign uh, grouping. That used to be the same issue with the standard until uh, the Moy family, and, and, uh, uh, until Londro group divested and the Moy family bought it. But even if you look at at uh, um, Royal Media, it is identified with SK Masharia. If you look at uh, Radio Africa, it is identified with Patrick uh, Kwaku. But within Radio Africa Group, you have the Star newspaper, 
which although it is identified by Patrick Kwako, it was known that Ivan Skidero, who came, went on to become governor of Nairobi, had a major um, stake. stake. Mm. And uh, even here where we are seated, uh, Capital FM, before it was identified with uh, Macto and the Londro uh, conglomerate, um, after that it was identified with uh, um, uh, Chris Kirobi, who might have had his political leanings or affiliations, and they could be reflected in the editorial uh, output, as the same way they may be reflected in um, Citizen TV or, uh, or Daily Nation or The Standard or anywhere else. Those are the realities. So what is your, what do you think as a veteran journalist is mm. your obligation mm. to Wanjiko, this um, great um, rallying character, Wanjiku, the person uh, in the shamba? What, wh- how are they ever going to get close to the truth when the truth which I'm expressing is my truth as a very rich man with huge political ambition? It's a dilemma we have to live with. Because uh, Wanjiku, unfortunately, does not own a newspaper and does not have the resources to own, to to get to even buy into one. But we who sit on the editorial desk, I think, must recognize that beyond uh, commercial considerations, beyond whatever uh, political affiliations we may owe loyalties to, we must recognize that the media is not just any enterprise. It is not a bakery. It is not a bar, it is not a shamba, is an institution that is globally recognized as the fourth estate. That recognition I talked about, granted in the constitution, calls for a certain uh, responsibility. We must recognize that our responsibility is to our nation, our responsibility is to Wanjiko. We have often said that uh, we are the watchdog of society and we, we have a, a duty, a sacred duty to live up to that responsibility. I go back, Ndugu, to the, to the daily headlines in the major... There's no watchdog. Um, the, the headlines are verbatim on any given topic. Are, should we say the same across the board? Everybody's saying the same thing. If Or maybe if, I'm reading the wrong newspapers daily. Let me daily. tell you, uh, maybe you're reading the wrong newspaper. Let me put it this way. Yes. If the topic on everyone's mind yes. today... Yes. Is the finance bill. Yes. And specifically the proposed um, housing fund. I'll call it a levy, a tax, a saving, whatever you want to call it. How do we get out of that? We, we have, have, we have a responsibility it. to address it. Yes. But, then the ad- but then we should address it beyond what Ruto may be saying or Raila may be saying or whatever other, any other political formation may be saying. And uh, pay much more attention to helping Wanjiko understand that finance bill in its totality. And then she may be able to make her own decision on is it good or bad. Do Which means I, we must also remove ourselves from the political sp- spin uh, being spanned by the various pol- uh, formations. Right. Again, I, I beg to differ in the sense that our, our rallying call here is that we have uh, the uh, amongst the, the greatest freedoms of speech in the world, and it's guaranteed in the Constitution. But I am saying um, that maybe there is somebody to blame who's letting the side down, and maybe we could have a segment on that. 
and that is the whole notion of editorial policy. Who's calling the shots as to what is it? Is it you, the columnist? Is it you, the revered columnist, who's telling me what to think on an issue? Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, is that is that a personal I, I, question? I, 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 as a columnist, yes, nobody tells me what I write, what to write, and how to write it, and what topic to cover. I make my completely independent uh, decisions, and they are not dictated by the editorial by the by the editor or the editorial policies of the newspaper I be I may be writing for. But then also we recognize that different newspapers have their own independent editorial policies. Now, ideally, those that independence should be safeguarded within the newsroom, within the editorial um, suite, so to speak, that there should not be pressure from the owners or uh, the or commercial considerations or external pressures from politicians or religious groupings or or, or any other forces that we, we used to call it the divide between church and state that within this newsroom the church is the editorial floor and it is insulated from the state which is the administrative the finance the commercial side and, and you know it, it should, in theory, that's the way it should be. And I think at one time it used to be that way. But today, of course, we're seeing a lot of breaching of uh, that wall. Okay. I It's um, 18 hours, 58 minutes and 12 seconds, close to 7 o'clock and close to a break. Ndugu, if you'd permit me to go back one, I, I didn't stick to my own rules. I, I wanted to look at the history for our young listeners. The presumption is that our, our listeners are predominantly young. And I would like to think of something for you, like the post-election violence of 2007. So all hell has broken loose in the country. The results are being challenged. Uh, the country is uh, about to you know, go up in flames. People are jetting in all kinds of envoys from Africa, from Europe to try and create a sort of um, rapprochement, peace. And I remember very vividly that there was a point where all the papers came together to write either the same headline or the same. They came together for a national purpose. Was that the only instance when such a coalition was required in our history? Um, I don't recall any other instances where that kind of thing um, happened. But it seems to have set a precedent. In other words, we are you, you were for development, you were for bridging the gap between the rich and the poor. And it seems to me, because again in the introduction, in pre-colonial times, there was the press as an agent for anti-colonial sentiment, as I expressed it. What is the press doing now? What's the great campaign, apart from staving off starvation in, in northern Kenya? Um, before, I, before I respond to that, I'd just like to go back to something, mm. which is a continuation of again, where I was before mm. uh, you made your closing remarks at the last segment. Mm. And I mentioned that uh, the editorial suite should be free of, of um, 
even the commercial section, there should be an, a Chinese wall uh, between the two. And that includes, I don't know whether uh, Capital FM has an editorial policy. If it does have an editorial policy, then it be, should be in sync with the Code of Conduct for the Practice of Journalism in Kenya, which is an, uh, part of the Media Council, Media, Media Council Act. It is the regulations under the Media Council Act, the Code of Conduct for the Practice of Journalism in Kenya. And it says very clearly, editorial should be completely separate from advertising, and every advert, ad, advert should be signposted as an advert. What that means is if in the East African standard, for instance, there is a, an ad placed by Kenya Breweries or Safaricom or Kenyatta University or, or KBC or Barclays Bank, it should be clear that it is an advert and not part of editorial. And if by its layout they look alike, then it will be clearly signposted advertisers announcement or sponsored content. Right. Now, the moment an anchor or a producer or a presenter on radio or TV uses his same space, the same voice to read an advert for KBC As or I've anybody just done. else, right. that is a breach of the code of conduct for the practice of journalism in Kenya. And, right. it, and, it is, and it is wrong. And it never used to happen until maybe 10 years ago when it started becoming... Um, the norm. The norm, and now everybody does it. Nation FM does it, Nation TV, Capital, F, um, Capital Citizen, Radio Africa, they're all doing it. But it is still in breach of those guidelines. Right. So we... we, 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 we but it, uh, it ties into this idea see, of, of, of generating... Sorry, sorry the, my understanding, yeah. my layman's understanding mm-hmm. is that people need money to do things. Yes. And maybe what I've just done is what pleases the person who's keeping the station alive. And if it's government, let's look at the word government. If you fall on the wrong side of government then they will withdraw all their advertising for tenders and whatever. And recently, uh, let's go back in time to the idea of the press can be muzzled simply by cutting off all funding. Yes, that is a big threat to press freedom. But the moment we acquiesce or succumb, Mm. then we are part of the problem and not part of the solution. We have had instances where big corporates have have um, denied certain media groups advertising because they're not getting favorable coverage. Yes. Or the government is denying advertising because they don't like the editorial policies of a certain newspaper. We should be able to, to, to challenge that and to fight it and to resist. The moment we lie down on our backs, then we are betraying the calling. But Ndugu, it is a reality. You're seeing it, it's sort of that we should put in, in our military fatigues and go out, you know, the journalists should. But let's go back to 60 years on, we're looking back, and again, the word on the street is that the media in general is suffering. Uh, houses, uh, production houses are laying off staff or unable to pay them. So what are you going to blame that on? Uh, the, 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 the corporates? COVID-19, what's Um, happening here? Let me put it this way. Mm. I will not blame COVID-19. 
I will not blame blame withdrawal of government advertising. In fact, I would I, I've always told my colleagues that uh, the formation of that so-called government advertising agency and the, the, uh, is a blessing in disguise because it makes us realize that we must not be hostage to any one big advertiser. Then we must um, appreciate that the media landscape is changing, that readership and viewership patterns are changing. Some of us grew up buying newspapers on our way to primary school. Today, even people in university don't buy newspapers. Okay, things have changed. The onus is on us to find out how have they changed? What, how do we need to re-engineer ourselves so that we can still thrive in that changing environment? What can we so do? What, 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 what makes you necessary? Why do you make uh, essential? Because if something becomes obsolete, then maybe it's like the dinosaur. It's seen its time. Tyrannosaurus today Rex. We are, today we are all moving towards the digital platforms. Yes. Okay. Mm. Our, the main sources of news today are websites and even social media. What we have not managed to do is to monet to learn how to monetize that content. We are still looking, f- doing it the same way as selling space in the newspapers or selling a segment on radio. And yet, the young people today are not li- are not watching newspapers. They're not even watching news on TV or listening to news on the radio. They are happy with the sound bites they can get on, on TikTok, WhatsApp, Twitter, and, and, and all those other platforms. Instagram. We are all playing in that space. So the print but we have me- not the, learned how to monetize it. The print media is a dying beast. Uh, if you say uh, that, then um, that'll be very sad for me because we no, have to end the conversation. <laughs> it, is, it, is no, it is not dying. Yeah. But I think we can look at success stories elsewhere. Look at things like the Washington Post. At one time, they laid off virtually most of their staff because they wanted to go online. Along the way, they realized that even online content must be produced by journalists. It can, the, the, everything else can be automated, but not the intellectual capital, not the intellectual resources. They retained the Washington Post as but went very big online. They actually hired more people than they had fired because online version has to be, it's not a daily newspaper. It has to be updated virtually every minute, 24 hours, day and night. People don't put the paper and go to bed. So there must be enough people to turn it to, to, to keep that 24-hour news cycle. Those are the realities. We have not managed to adjust ourselves to that. But yeah, I, I must take advantage of, of your being in the studio yeah. because uh, it seems to me, listening to myself speak and you speak, is that we're being very current. Kenya at 60, would you like to go beyond my hodgepodge introduction and give us what to you have been landmark milestones along the way in the history of print journalism in independent Kenya. Something that I may have left out that, again, maybe the young are unaware of. That's why I pointed to this idea of 2007 and the role of the press in in mitigating um, violence. Let let me start with 2007. And uh, I think that was the first time I've ever seen uh, all the newspapers, all the media groups come together 
and issue a, a, what you might call a joint statement or a joint editorial. And I think that was a recognition that Kenya is on the brink that we might have no country tomorrow if we don't take a very bold step today. I am proud to have been part of the discussion leading to that, uh, let me call it an accord or a concord. And it was very much driven by the editors-in-chief of all the newspapers. Of course, the owners came in or the people who, you know, the the CEOs, if not the owners, and and and, they, and 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 all agreed that it must be done. What I do know is that even at other periods of national crisis, there there has been some quiet consultation on one editor, the editor in chief of Nation can call the editor in chief of Standard and Royal Media, and they sit down and say um, things are critical. How can we handle this responsibly? Sometimes there will be agreement. Sometimes there will be, there will not be agreement. Okay. Uh, that was one instance because Kenya was on the brink. Kenya has not been faced that situation again. And I don't think there has been any time since then when there has been such a common uh, uh, platform. If anything, it is more of rivalries all the time and trying to beat each other to the news. Uh, let us now go back to uh, pre-independence. You mentioned in your intro the role played by what you might call the nationalist press mm. in the struggle for independence. Jomo Kenyatta had his Muiguithania, uh, a Kikui language newspaper. Hari Thuku had a newspaper. Um, Jaramogi Odinga and um, Ocheng Oneko had the newspapers. Um, Bildad Kagai, Bildad Kagia had a newspaper. Mm. So did Paul Ngei. All those papers were formed for a purpose. To, to 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 push the struggle for independence okay and uh, at, then at we got independence and settled down to a very conservative approach to things um the big newspapers which were foreign owned the nation and the standard were very were both conservative although they, they had different um, histories and by the way a correction uh, the nation, yes, was launched in uh, 1960. But it was preceded by Taifa, which had been launched in 1958 by Charles Hayes. Charles Hayes was then bought out by the Aga Khan in 1951, 1959, who then launched the English language uh, daily nation in 19. Uh, 60. And that paper was, was launched specifically to counter the standard. Because the standard, which initially was formed by uh, an Indian um, immigrant called uh, Jivanji, I think, then was bought out by the, 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 the settler establishment, was basically pro-settler 
anti-independence. The nation was launched in 1960, or rather even if you go back to 1959 with the Taifa, to be the voice of the Africans. Okay? To be the voice of the majority. Uh, but after independence, they each settled down into some uh, very conservative approach which meant basically supporting the government uh, a one party press of the day yeah mm. one party press you could call it that mm. and uh, until when we came to the struggle for multipartism uh, if you go back to 1989 1990 and then you had um, society magazine of Pius Nyamora Nairobi Law Monthly of Getobu Imanyara, Finance Magazine of Njeho Gatabaki, and others, they pushed the boundaries. They took up the struggle for democracy at a time when nation and standard were very hesitant, could barely just feel a little bit and step back. They took on that without fear. I'm going to stop there for a short break and then I'm going to urge you yeah. to explain the significance of the weekly review. Okay. The Weekly Review, Hillering Wenu. What did they do for us? The Weekly Review was formed in um, 1975, I think, by Hillering Wenu. And it immediately stood out as a very bold, as a very bold uh, weekly news magazine modeled on uh, Newsweek. What made it stand out was not that it was radical, it was not particularly was radical, analytical. but it was very political and it provided depth and analysis which the daily newspapers of the day would dare not touch. The reporting then was limited to he said, she said, the minister said this, the president said this or did this. That was the the, the 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 template for the nation and the standard at that time. The weekly review came out with analysis, with interpretative journalism, and made itself the authority on political developments in Kenya. Okay, fast forward uh, because we have this is our last segment, um, th so we've got to move faster, faster to get in a few more paragraphs. What happened after? these sort of halcyon days of the weekly review and analysis so that it's being suddenly revived as a online mechanism 40 years later okay for, um the weekly review folded i think in uh, late 1990s or early mm. 2000s uh, around the same time a spin-off called the economic review also folded what happened is that by that time the daily newspapers had also gone into analysis. They had also upped their game. In fact, they had taken much of the stuff from 
the weekly review and other such uh, publications. And also it happened that the big corporates were not interested in advertising within uh, what you might call a niche low circulation product. So all the advertising revenue was going to the mass circulation uh, dailies. Now you're aware that last year the weekly review was relaunched uh, uh, as an online public first first as an insert within the Sunday nation exactly and then an online uh, uh, publication nation group bought the weekly review title from hillary Nguyen, i think more than 10 or 15 years ago but um, could never quite decide what to do with it uh, and uh, the various conversations i'm told went on and on and on and and uh, last now year, we have the manifestation. Last year, those con- conversations were revived, and um, they decided to, to to relaunch the weekly review, um, uh, and they even brought in some of the um, f- fellows who used to write the weekly review. And the on the one hand, the reception has been, I would probably think it has been very good. On the other hand, I think uh, it may be appealing to a generation which read the weekly review. All those years back. And that generation is dying out. Nostalgia. So there is need to look at what can we do for the generation of today. Right. Ndugu, uh, before you reveal yourself, I, I seem to think as a Kenyan citizen that once again, uh, post-August... 2022, we seem to be headed for uh, an agenda of confrontation. Let, let's have strikes every Monday and Thursday. Uh, let us, uh, we must talk, and if we don't talk this way, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, of course. Can, can the press, is this yet another moment after 2007 where the press... So we came back circling this topic by you saying you can write whatever you want. So why, for example, or maybe you have, why don't you write that it doesn't serve to uh, go around breaking buildings up and destroying bridges and dams and everything, that destruction calls for anything? Why isn't that the headline on a daily basis for the young people to read? Um, I would say because... We need to celebrate our freedoms. Celebrate our freedom? We need to celebrate the right okay. to demonstrate. We need to celebrate the right to, for Mandamano to make noise even if you have nothing to say. But, I, but, my, also, my, key, but my key word was violence. Yes, uh, I am coming know, to that. B- blow your house down the three little the pigs. Line yes, sorry. Hmm. Between uh, demonstrations that are unruly, that result in violence, that the organizers seem to either want violence or or unable to contain their own people. We have written about it. We have written against that time and time again, even as as we have written against the tendency of the police to go around bashing people's heads just because they're exercising their rights to demonstrate. If you read our newspapers, you will not miss that. Okay, so... uh the the press is doing the most it can do to be the watchdog of society and uh, society is running its own course in other words it's powerless against 
um, certain developments. It's a it's the, a watchdog the, the, that the, can't the, bite the, you. The, the, play, the press plays a major agenda-setting role. Well, in all the speeches that Ndugwe, in all the speeches that everyone gives, if you listen to Joe Biden and all these American presidents, they're always saying uh, the press is the last bastion of sanity in any society. If freedom of press is not guaranteed. And we're going back to your initial statement. If this is the country with the greatest freedom of the press in the world, then why isn't Kenya an earthly paradise? Is it, do you see the, the linkage see, between they, the two? They, they, um, You're saying this is wonderful, you, we can you, do you, what we, we like. We, we have the freedom to, to, write, to, to write, to broadcast, and all that. Yes. And, and, but, but we can only hope that those who need to listen are listening. We can't force them. We can hope that when we write about, uh, about the police bashing people's heads, that the police are listening. When we write against people breaking, uh, turning what should be peaceful protests into viol um, violent orgies, we hope that the participants are listening and we hope that their leaders are listening. You know, uh, but, but, but in between, there are so many other things. We're having a very vibrant discussion today about the finance bill and all the information people are getting, whether pro or against, comes from the uh, Kenyan media, not even the foreign media, media, the Kenyan media. Anytime President Ruto wants to reach uh, the people, he speaks through the Kenyan media. Anytime um, Raila Odinga, the opposition leader, wants to reach the people, he speaks through the Kenyan media. And every time our people need to know what is happening in the country and what their leaders are saying, what their representatives are, are saying, they tune in to the Kenyan media. As simple as that. There are places where there is no media to listen to or to depend on. I've been in uh, places in Africa where West Africa, Burkina Faso or other places. Something very, very major is happening. And everybody has to try and tune in to um, AFP or some French uh, broadcaster to find out what is happening in their own country. Even the president sometimes wants to address his own people and has to use a foreign uh, radio station to reach his own people. So let us celebrate some of these things. We are not ideal. The press is not ideal. But the freedoms we have, let us celebrate them. Let us protect them. Ndugu, mystery over. Could you reveal who you are? <laughs> My name is Masharia Gaido. Um, I am an independent journalist. I, of course, uh, I'm affiliated with the Daily Nation, for which I uh, write a weekly column and also provide occasional um, uh, political analysis. I'm part of the team, of course, that relaunched the weekly review as a Daily Nation product uh, uh, late last year. Uh, I've been around, done that in the Kenyan media context. I call myself an untrained journalist. Right. Well, um, if um, revelation were to be in order, uh, when we all write our memoirs, we have to remember that we both went to the same high school, uh, which we won't reveal in this context because we're not into publicity making, and that you are my junior. So I, given to the rituals of the time, I should be able to present my shoes for you to polish and my books for you to carry to school. So we have to establish that. 
what how 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 did you decide why did you become a journalist I'm, I, I, in in terms of talking to to the young not personalize it what was the attraction and the allure um, and why do you still have faith in it as a mode of I st- existence I, I studied design I attended the University of Nairobi. We are going to be uh, in uh, in design, in, graphic design. In cra- yes, but that's because you were called to. to, to that's I, the degree you were offered. I always had an interest in journalism, hmm. and I would say my jo- interest in journalism started almost from childhood. When I was in primary school, I would save some of my bus fare. I used to go to school by bus so that I could buy a newspaper at least at least every Friday. Right. In fact, I remember even teachers coming to borrow my newspaper. So you're, you had a fascination with language. Language, with news, with current events, with, with what's happening. And, th- and therefore you could urge... When, you, when, you, when did you weekly, read a lot? Because the, everybody, if you don't read, you I, can't I read, write. I, I read newspapers every day. Mm. And I did not just read the news of today. It means that I also read backwards. Yes. That I knew what happened at independence even when I even though I was not there. I knew about the killing of Tom Boyer in 1969, the um, the, the launch of KPU and the detention of Oginga Odinga in 1966 even though I was not there because I took time to study, to read backwards, to find out that what is happening today has a genesis in what happened yesterday. It distresses me today to sit in a newsroom, tell a journalist to write about a certain event, and he says he was, he was too young or he was not yet born. So let us study. Yes. Let us keep abreast of current events. And it does not, it does not have to be politics. If so, your passion uh, is music, yes. then learn music. What did you do to learn language as a Kenyan born in a village somewhere? Well, um, Most of us are. I, I, I went to a good school. Yes. And I, I, I grew up in a very cosmopolitan environment. Growing up from nursery school, where English, not Kiswahili or Okikuyu uh, or Kijalu or Kelenjin, was almost the lingua franca. Mm. We were Kenyans, we were Africans, but from all communities. Yes. But somehow English became the lingua franca. And and in any case, the language of instruction was English from primary school. The language of instruction in secondary school was English. The language of instruction in university was English. And it still is up to today. So nobody has an excuse to be incompetent in English. <laughs> After all, you're doing your exams in English, whether it, whether it is exams in science in biology, in mathematics, you're doing that in English. Dugu, I won't oblige you to clean my shoes. It's um, 19 hours, 29 minutes and 42 seconds just passed and sadly time to stop. Do continue to give us feedback, hopefully positive and reassuring, on the Twitter handle at capital FM Kenya or drop us a text or WhatsApp message on 0701 984-984. I've been talking to Masharia Gaido, a veteran journalist, although in his own words, untrained. And you've been listening to John Sibiokumu on Wednesday. Thank you very much for doing so. Most kindly as usual. Very much obliged. Till next time.